0: Welcome to SME Radio. On today's episode of Mid-Market Matters, we're joined by my longtime mate and also fantastically well-known futurist, Craig Rispin. Craig, thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, I'm so happy to be here with you and I've got so much to share and optimism for the future when everybody's worried, it seems like.
0: Absolutely. We're in the middle of a very, very unusual black swan, if you want to use that terminology, event. It's affected everybody businesses, individuals, families, health, you name it. But as you said, there is obviously a future at the end of all of this. This will end at some point. And our clients and listeners are certainly keen to know what that might look like. So I've asked Craig to come along today, give us his view. He's an expert at predicting the future, if you like, at looking forward telling us what we should be aware of and what we should be taking advantage of to perform better in business. So I'm going to stop talking and hand over to Craig and ask you the question, mate, what do you see in the future? What's going to happen?
1: Okay, we're going to talk about that. Let's talk about the situation that we're in right now. And you said Black Swan. Nissim Taleb, who wrote The Black Swan, was being interviewed recently on a financial program And this is what he said, Craig, and this is not to make you wrong. He said, this is not a black swan. This was predicted. And it is, as you probably know, in 2009, I was in the audience at the TED conference. And there was Bill Gates. And Bill Gates had this little glass or plastic cube. And nobody knew what it was in front of him until he was talking about the the spread of malaria and other pandemics and so on. That was back in 2009. Towards the end of his presentation, uh, he opened it up like surprised. And yes, all the mosquitoes went out. You should have seen the panic on everybody's face. And so it can't be a black swan when futurists and very smart people like Bill Gates and his foundation that he set up with Melinda, you know, have been working on this for a long time, crying out, we need to be better prepared. Some countries have been better prepared, but Nisim Taleb said, this is not a black swan. We should have been prepared. And some have more than others. But when you think about bid market companies and what they should be thinking about right now, is thinking about what's gonna be on the other side of this, but let's talk about the hope for what's going on now, and uh, what we can expect gonna be the drivers of the future that you should be preparing for. As you probably know, and I've been saying this for years, and we've known each other for decades, literally, the world is moving faster now than ever before. Acceleration is accelerating. Change is driving change faster. And this is a good news story because the fourth industrial revolution, which is defined by three areas, three main drivers, which are the digital. The past third industrial revolution was a digital revolution of two Cs computers and communication that's going to continue but it's going to impact infuse and, and drive faster the area of biology and that's what we're dealing right now is a biological mm-hmm. threat and that is good because it's accelerating things and i'll give you one data point another virus called the aids virus it took us 2 years to isolate it to even know what it was and isolate it, as they call it. We didn't have a treatment of any kind, let alone a vaccine, which we still don't have. We didn't have any kind of treatment for another three years. To give you a comparison, because of the Fourth Industrial Revolution driving change in the biological area, we identified and isolated, no thanks to the Chinese government who said, oh, it's only the flu. Then they said, oh, it's only SARS. We've seen it before. But some young doctors said, no, this is something new. So they delayed us a few days, but it wasn't too bad. Seven days we isolated it. Not two years, seven days. And in three days, we had genetically scanned it. We sequenced it, and a not-for-profit research university in China uploaded it onto Amazon's web services. So onto Amazon and shared it. And that means that there are 300 organizations working on solutions to this pro- this yeah, crisis right now because of that. And guess what? In the news today, human trials starting here in Australia and overseas as well as our first attempt. And there's three types of ways that you can treat this. Uh, One is a genetic treatment. One is an antibodies treatment. That's what is being tested. Human trials. It was just announced today. But there are hundreds, literally hundreds, preclinical, clinical, clinical, and pre-human test trials happening. All thanks to the rise of the fourth industrial revolution. The challenge for most mid-market companies, Craig, is that when it comes to their strategy, especially in the time of crisis. They don't do very well in strategy planning. I, I talk to them and I say, how do you do your strategy planning? And they say, oh, a SWOT analysis. And I think, oh my goodness, invented in the 1930s. Yeah. We're in a different time. You know, AT Kearney is this big consulting firm and they've looked all around the world and they asked their clients, clients, look back to all those strategic plans that you had that failed. Not that we're successful, the plans that you had that failed, and please tell us, what is the common trait that uh, made them fail? And it was a surprising number. 15,000 of their clients responded, and 88% said the same thing. 88%. Craig, what do you think they said was the number one reason that their strategic plans failed? execution. No, it wasn't execution. Many of my clients when I ask them, are you very good at execution? They say they are, and some of them are, most are not, but some of them are incredibly <laughs> good at execution. It wasn't that. It is lack of understanding of future yeah. trends. Yeah. What they said was, "Hey, we had this idea for this strategy and we decided that we were going to roll it out. It took us 18 months to do that and by the time we got there, the world has changed around us. That was one anecdote from this big report. You can go find it if you want and read it. It's a big report, but that's the one that stood out for me. Yes, the world is changing faster than ever before. We're living in a massively, Hmm. massively changing world, and that was all before what we're in now, in Hmm. the crisis, right? And there's this idea of business competency. So for those people who don't know what it is, business competency, do you have the business skills to be competent in the modern world? They used to be, universities would say, when you come out of university, especially back in the 1980s when I was going there, they said, your business competency should last you 30 years. Do you know that business competency is now down to an average of three years? And so when I talk to leaders and I say, are you educating yourself about the future because things are accelerating? Are you committed to continuous learning? They say, yes, we are. And I ask, well, tell me about your executive learning program. And 99% of them say, "Mm, executive learning program. (laughs) Like, come on. This is professional development. If we're working in a world that's rapidly changing, you have to keep up yeah, and so there's this idea of the knowledge doubling curve. It was started by Buckminster Fuller, a great futurist and architect, the guy who coined the term spaceship Earth and invented the geodesic dome. And uh, he used to lecture down at UC San Diego. My mother would drive me down. I lived in Long Beach, California. She'd drive me down and he would give his lectures out in the quad for free. And I could go listen to his stream of consciousness. Wasn't that a wonderful thing? You didn't have to pay university fees and you can go see his lectures. That's great. But he came up with this idea and he said that his students and himself had studied that the amount of human knowledge would doubled approximately in the 1900s every hundred years. And there were our companies that listed in the 1900s on the stock market that lasted a hundred years. I'm thinking of Kodak that was based on one human idea and then things changed quite rapidly, didn't they, for them? By 1945, it was 25 years. Now, UC Berkeley and and IBM have taken up this research. They've got undergrads and PhDs studying this, the rise of human knowledge and how fast it's rising. And you can see that exponential growth there. Currently, they say it's about 12 months. And so you've got to invest in your education to up your education because, look, it's doubling every 12 months. But by 2030, that's only 10 years away. It's going to accelerate because of the rise of one technology that's a driver of the fourth industrial revolution. That is the IoT, the Internet of Things, or what I prefer to call it is what my client GE calls it. They call it the Internet of Everything. So IBM predicts that the build-out of the Internet of Things will result in the doubling of human knowledge every 12 hours. And how is this possible? It's because we're going to be collecting so much data, So this is what Singapore was planning on doing before this crisis, and they're going ahead with this. Singapore will be the first country in the world that, the entire country, it's a city-state, small island, so it's easy for them to do, to be blanketed in 5G data. With 5G data, we could be monitoring the health. And yes, there's going to be some privacy concerns, but they can anonymize it, and they could track the temperature because even before you've got symptoms, this could be picked up on your Apple watch. It could Mm -hmm. be picked up on another device. If your heart rate changes just slightly and your temperature goes up and down just slightly, it's a precursor. It's a pre-indicator that you might have COVID. Wouldn't it be great if a driverless ambulance came up to you and said, get in, we're taking you to isolation. And I have to tell you, in the last SARS crisis, when I had live events canceled, like everything, all the live events are being canceled now, they're being canceled there. Then in Asia, I remember flying into Singapore and I was coming up the jetway and they had these FLIR cameras, these FLIR cameras measure temperature. They They had them within weeks. That was in 2003. So the world was already changing, and that was before COVID-19. But the good news is, it's not all bad news. With the chances of solving this, the time frame has crushed down, even in this announcement of, we're going to human trials for this vaccine. uh, They said, we've done this in months when it normally would take years, and this is the good news. Not every industry is being hit. How can I deal with this right now? Because I've lost customers in one area. Maybe I can pivot and get customers in other areas, like the gin distilleries. Sorry, that's a hard word. Distilleries who um, pivoted to making hand sanitizer. Yeah. Made sense, right? great example. And many businesses can do this. So let's just look at this chart. This is a chart that shows which industries are laying off, are freezing, or are still in hiring mode. With the biggest layoffs, of course, travel and tourism. 83%. And it looks like what? That's a third? Now, I don't know if you know this, but Google has a trends uh, list of tracking us. And if you didn't know that Google was tracking us, well, of course, you opted in when you said, yes, I'd like to use Google Maps. (laughs) And so you can turn it off if you don't want to be tracked. But for most Australians, have been tracked it. I mean, it's 22 million uses of Google Maps every single day. That's most of all of Australians. That's a remarkable number. So you can see that Retail and rec- recreation areas down 44%. Grocery and pharma- pharmacy down 13%. Parks are down. Transit stations are down. Going to work is down. And there are some other uh, great indicators of what's going on right now. Some fun, some funny indicators. <laughs> Here are some ones. The rise of almost 40%, 39%. <laughs> Let's learn ukulele. Or how do I do my own haircut? Or blue light glasses. Do you know what those are? Yeah. (laughs) Big rise in that because people are on screens more than ever before. And of course, unemployment application up 4,700%. And a bidet for all those people who are worried that they can't get toilet paper. And I don't (laughs) know why they're thinking that. We do not have A problem. We have manufacturing of toilet paper in this country. We have three manufacturers. We do not have a supply problem, people. We have a demand problem. We do not have a supply problem. You do not need to buy a. Do you know that there's some bidets that sell for eleven thousand dollars and they're selling like hotcakes? I'm going to ask you a question, Craig, and I don't know how you're going to respond, but I do want to ask you this question. Do you think that there will be more wealth created in the next decade than ever before in history in spite of what we're going through? Money doesn't sleep. I mean, yes, Alan Kohler said, you know, the guy from the ABC, the finance guy, he says, it's really exhausting being an investor right now. (laughs) He's a funny guy because the market's up, it's down, it's sideways. Yeah, Here's the other really interesting thing At the same time, the rise of philanthropy, people are becoming more wealthy and they're wanting to do more good work in the world. There's this whole drive of let's make money and do social good at the same time. I Mm. bet you've been in touch with clients that are talking about this with you. Absolutely. So where's this wealth coming from? And this is what I want to do, is to help on the other side of this. You know, you're going to have to find your opportunities and pick your battles. Maybe you have to reinvent yourself. Maybe you have to get an education and do something completely new. I know a lot of people that are doing that, and I could have a recommendation for that for you as well, where you could completely retrain in just three or four months. So this future wealth is coming from the rise of the fourth industrial revolution. And it's these three areas of digital, physical, biological areas. Do you know about neurotechnology? Yep. So neurotechnology a whole order of field of study now at university. I spoke at a conference a number of years ago, and they discovered that artificial light for shift workers, it's the biggest longitudinal study of health workers we've ever done in history. It's tens of thousands of them over many decades, and they found that the health workers that are working in shift under fluorescent lights, guess what? They are more overweight, they have more diabetes, have more heart disease, breast cancer, all sorts of things. And what we're finding is, is actually affecting our brains, the type of light. And so those blue glasses that you saw, and the night shift that we get on our phones now, this and if you you, when you go back to flying on a Virgin flight, they actually tune the LEDs, so you don't get Mm. jet lag when you're on the other end this is a field of study and i spoke at this neurotechnology safety conference and this one researcher from university queensland university technology gave all the truck drivers from toll holding special glasses that shone different light into their eyes and it, it eliminated a ton of their most dangerous accidents those are those rollovers where they go over the side of the of the freeway or road that's really dangerous and a lot of people are hurt or killed, reduced it by thirty-five percent just by changing the frequency of light in their eyes. And so, this oh. is one area. This is just one area. I could go into any of these areas and tell you how we can print a house in a day. You've probably seen this on the internet. No, I have, yeah. But have you seen the 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 apartment buildings they can build now? So they print the first floor. They let it set, you know, cure. I guess it's called curing the the uh, concrete. And then it sets for a day. Then the robot um, 3D printer hoists itself up and it prints the next floor. So in five days, they print a five-story uh, uh, apartment building. And do you see any builders doing this right now in Sydney? Have you seen no. it, Craig? No. No. And, and you know why? Because I talked to them. I was hired by the Building Research Association, Australia, New Zealand. And I said, why aren't you doing this? This would be perfect for low-cost Housing. There's a demand for low cost housing. You know what the reply was? Oh, we want it to take a long time so we can charge our clients a lot more, Craig. If we Mm. could print a house in a day, how could we? I said, You're nuts. Just think about this. You could be the Uber of houses. You could say, I can print you a house in a day, but it's going to cost you 40%, 50% more. Would you be willing to pay 40 or 50% more if you could have a house or a second house or what they call? an accessory dwelling unit in your backyard, like a granny right. flat or something. Yeah. yeah. Would you be willing to pay 30 to 50% more if they said it'll be ready tomorrow? I said, that's Uber. We're actually paying more than we used to pay in taxis now. Yeah. Uber used to be cheaper. It's more expensive now. And do you think people are complaining? No, they're not. No. But they're just not open to these ideas. And so I think they, every leader needs to be open to these ideas because look at what's coming. The last 40 years has been defined by Moore's law that said that the price performance of computers and chips and communication would double every 12 to 18 months or so. In other words, the price has come down. A $10 million computer in 2001 today is $10,000. Or I'll give you another example. I used to sell video digital video equipment during the olympics just before 2001 in the year 2000 in 1999 and a million dollar studio upgrade was required all the studios had to do it channel 9 channel 7 abc sbs they were all my clients they spent millions of dollars of upgrading each of their studios black magic an australian company came out with a little box it's $1100 and it is 10 times better than that million dollar studio in 1999. Mm-hmm. That is the power of Moore's Law. And this is what I have to tell you. If you think you can continue doing what you're doing over the next five to 10 years, and you think that the last 40 years has been incredible, the last 10 years have been incredible, just the last three years have been incredible, More, it looks like the fourth industrial revolution is going to be one hundred times bigger and faster. And most people can't even get their heads around this, Craig. If you invest in the future, if you educate yourself, invest in your professional development and understand the driving forces, even in the worst of times, they can be the best of times. The fourth industrial revolution will be around biology It'll be around the physical world. It'll be around the digital world. And any companies that are in those areas, and especially the ones that combine them together, are the ones that are going to boom. What I'm saying to you and to your audience is, if you educate yourself into what the future is, this applies to your business. It doesn't have to be into finance. I'm not making any kind of offer. I don't want your money. I'm not asking for your money. I'm just using this as proof that if you invest in the future rather than the past, you will have a successful business. And so for your clients, Craig, what what we have to do is get them focused on this fourth industrial revolution, because that's where all the future wealth is going to come from. Do you believe this?
0: Yeah, so what's your number one tip to get people? How do we get started on this journey if you're a mid-market business owner? What's okay. What's one thing they should be doing?
1: So this is what you do. You have some clients, and let's say, for instance, they're all over cloud computing, and they go, oh, I, I, I already know about cloud computing. I'm doing quite good on that. I'm doing managed desktops and that kind of thing. I've got quite a successful company. Well, then I would say to them, well, are you also combining? How would you like that kind of growth, that is several orders of magnitude faster than Moore's Law, how would you like to apply that to your cloud computing business? Well, think about this. A lot of wet labs, and I know a little bit about this because my daughter is a bioinformatician and works in research, a lot of wet labs are moving into data centers because the robots do the genetic testing these yep. days. You don't need – there are some manual processes, but a lot of the robots are moving the samples around. Does that make sense? Yep. Well, imagine if you had cloud computing and you have a data center, but you also had a wet center at the same time. Imagine yep. what organizations in Australia you could tap into that were, were working on the COVID um, virus, right now and you say we we've got this data center that's on a multi gig connection it's connected directly to AWS and it's a wet lab would you like us to help yeah. you what do you think they would say
0: yeah absolutely yep
1: yes and those solutions are already out there okay I'll give you another example so an entrepreneur came up to me and she's really passionate about helping people that are returned veterans that have um uh, ptsd and she's found that there are virtual reality glasses and you can play scenarios for them and it has some really positive psychological effects but nobody in the healthcare system really wants to talk to her they don't want to do any trials or anything like this but anecdotal evidence from thousands of veterans who are playing games and other things to help them deal with their ptsd is this is super helpful And what I said to her is, you're doing exactly the right thing. You're combining these two areas, virtual reality and neurotechnology. What you need to do is put a neurosensor, and there's one for $329 called the Emotive, and you can actually do a brain scan as they're watching this, and you could publish these results. And I'm sure university research was love to collaborate with you because then you'd have the data of the neurotechnology. As soon as she told me about this, I'm like, how can I help? Because I know this is a huge opportunity. And she said, but I just can't get traction. I said to her, ignore the establishment. The establishment want to hold on to the past. Dr. Peter Drucker said, organizations are very good at feeding the past and starving the future. Yeah. I said, start the virtual reality PTSD um, association, make it a grassroots association, amass thousands of anecdotal um, uh, evidence, and then go to a university and say, we've got hundreds uh, and hundreds and hundreds of, hundreds of anecdotal evidence uh, bits. Wouldn't you like to turn this into a study? And then you'll have your, cl- you'll have your study. Yeah, she said, absolutely. oh, that's, Craig, that's perfect. So what I would say to your clients is, if you're in any of these areas, combine it with another area and you'll get that amplitude. You'll get that, that X factor. And I can see it when I advise my clients and they're, they're like, oh, I know a little bit about big data. I know a little bit about genetics. I know a little bit about advanced manufacturing. If you could just pivot just a little bit more and add that other thing, it's really gonna make a huge difference. If you don't have a deep understanding, how could you possibly invest in any of them, in the stock market or in your business? Yeah. Invest in your education. If you have in-demand digital skills, and all of those engineers who followed my advice messaged me on LinkedIn and said, thank you, Craig, thank you. All of us who got these industry certifications that only took us, they said, 10 to 15 hours a week, we all got rehired and all of our colleagues who didn't follow your advice, they're all looking for work. So it's not just for you as the business owner, you could train your entire team up on a new area in just a few weeks and completely transform your organization. So or how course. do people get in
0: touch with you, Craig?
1: Well, the best way is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's the best way because then you can see other people who have followed my advice and they found it valuable uh, recently, um, you know, somebody said that I saved them, uh, they, they launched a new product and they said, thank you for saving me $250,000 in my launch, Craig. And that's why I want to send people to LinkedIn so they can see not what I say about myself, but what my customers say that I
0: can do for my clients. Fantastic, mate. We're going to wrap it up there because we're out of time. But thank you very much. Really interesting, thought-provoking stuff.
1: Thank you so much for the invitation. And anyway, if you'd like to invite me back, we could do a six-month update as we're coming out of this.
0: Yeah, let's do that. That's a good idea. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to SME Radio, proudly produced by EagleWave small business podcasting platform. For more great episodes like this, go to smea.org.au. Remember, if you have a story to tell, We want to share it.